0: this morning to Creekside Church. We certainly are in challenging times and we're coming to you live from the church. I want to let you as our Creekside Church family know that we're praying for you. We just want to welcome you here this morning. It's good to have you joining with us. Also, if you're visiting with us, just thanks for joining us. We are living in times that I have not seen in my many years of ministry over three decades, but God is in control and we're going to press ahead and by God's grace we'll come through this and God knows what's going on and this morning we're just going to have a chance to look at a passage of Scripture that I think is very important and pertains to how we should treat and what kind of perspective we should have as we are living in these these days I want to make just a couple of announcements first of all I'd like to let you know that uh, we're going to be celebrating communion at the end of the service so if you're joining us at home, if you would like to make a run for the fridge or whatever and, and get some, some juice or uh, some bread, we'd sure encourage you to join with us as we celebrate the Lord's table. That'll be at the end of the service. I uh, wanted to let you know that if you're part of our Creekside Church family, or even if you're not, you can keep updated with stuff on our website. that's www.creeksidedm.com. Okay. It's Through email, also our Facebook page, and we are trying to do a lot of different things to stay connected. We, as elders, want you to know that we're praying for you. We're really encouraged by uh, the response from our body. We're trying to reach out to those who may have needs. If you know of somebody who has a need, or you have a need, please contact us and we'll try to get in touch with you and try to do what we can to meet those needs. Ask that you would just be patient with us. We're exploring ways to continually stay connected. We're asking you to spend some special time, some extra time, sometime during the week. We're gonna be focusing probably on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights as elders, praying for the needs of the congregation, for our community, for the world, as we go through this difficult and unprecedented time. I'm going to spend some time just praying for you right now and praying. There are a lot of prayer needs that we have, and I'm asking that you would just bow with me and and pray if you would. Father, uh, we are so privileged to come this morning and uh, worship you. We thank you that even in these days when we're isolated and insulated, we can still be connected uh, via the Internet. We're grateful that we serve a loving and gracious God who is on the throne, who is in control, and who has not been vanquished, not been set back, but is not taken aback by what's happening. We're grateful. We're thankful. We pray that you'd give us grace and wisdom to press ahead. We pray this morning, Father, for our leaders, the highest levels of government, for our president and our vice president and the members of Congress as they try to navigate these uncharted waters of difficulty and try to provide services and meet the needs of a a population that's so diverse. We pray for our governor and for the members of the state house as they try to do what's best for us here in the state. We pray for our church leaders and ask that you give them wisdom as we try to stay connected and we try to care for and pastor and shepherd those in the flock even though we aren't able to see them face to face most of the time. I pray, dear Father, that you'd give those who are involved in the essential provision of goods and services extra grace and strength. I think particularly this morning, Father, of those involved in the healthcare industry, those in long-term care, those who are providing groceries and medical supplies, I just pray that they'd have an extra measure of your grace and physical stamina and strength at this time. And Father, we rejoice that we serve a risen Savior your son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we gather this morning and we pray that you would meet the needs of the many people in our congregation. I think particularly this morning of Lucas and Lois, Richard, who are trying to return for, uh, to the States because of some conditions that are there in the place where they're serving. We pray that you'd give them an extra measure of grace and open doors of opportunity. I think of our brother Anand, whose family is away from him this time. I pray that you would return them to him safely that you'd give him comfort and grace at this time, and so many from our body, Father, who are struggling and challenged. I pray for Mark Bristow, that you'd continue to bring healing to his shoulder and restoring him to health. And there are many others, Lord. I'm not going to mention them all by name, but you know them. And I pray that you'd comfort and encourage them. And we ask that you would go through with us in this service and that your name would be magnified and our love for you would grow and deepen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, time for us to spend a little time in the Word this morning. We feel like the Word of God is still living and active, and that's the place where we're going to turn for help and hope in these challenging times. I'm going to uh, just uh, begin with a proviso. We've been working through the book of Matthew, but this week uh, by, I think, the Lord's leading, I felt like we should divert from that and address a passage of scripture, look to a passage of scripture that gives us some perspective in the face of the pandemic that we're encountering. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. I had a privilege of visiting with my parents this past week, and my mother and I were out for a hike. And when we were out on this hike, we came across this scene. I want to show you this picture, if we can look at this picture of this snake that we saw along the trail. Uh, There was this rattlesnake. You can't see it very well, but you can look in. You can see the stripes on the ground underneath the bush. And that's the end of the tail just before you get to the rattles. And as we were, uh, we weren't in any danger. We were off the trail. Some other people were acting a little bit like knuckleheads and trying to entice the snake. But that wasn't very wise. And as we, we moved along, I got to thinking. And after we got back, I thought, you know, it was really warm out. And the snake is there, but it gets really cold in the desert. So what does a snake do to survive the cold in the desert? And then my mom went online, and, which I thought was kind of curious because she went online. I didn't. And anyhow, she found out the fact that uh, the snakes, they go underground and they gather together in a cluster of snakes. Uh, kind of a snake ball, if you will. And, and that's how they find refuge from the cold. And I thought, wow, they they find refuge from the cold. And I think, well, as we face the dangers, particularly now that everybody's mind is on this coronavirus and the pandemic, or whether it's economic volatility that comes from it, maybe it's just regular difficulties and disruptions of life as we know it, where do we go? Where do we look? Where's our place of safety? Where's our place of refuge? Do we have a safe place? Well, the scripture tells us that we don't have a place, we have a person, and the person is God, the only true and tested refuge to which we can turn in faith so that we can live without fear. With all that's going on, I think we should look at what the psalmist has to say. In Psalm 46, if we will trust, just simply trust what the psalmist says in in chapter 46, then we will live in faith and not fear not only as we face the coronavirus pandemic, but as we face any other trouble. I'd like you to join me if you have your cell phone or if you have a computer, if you have a Bible handy. I would really like to read Psalm 46, and then we're going to look at these, these three reassurances that are grounded in God as our ever-present refuge revealed in Psalm 46 that provide us with confidence that we can endure the troubles that we encounter in faith and not in fear. So I'm going to read Psalm 46. I'd invite you to join me if you would. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help and in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice, and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of, Rapha- God of Jacob is our, ref- our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. We have these three reassurances that are given to us in the text. Promises, if you will, that are predicated upon God's presence as our refuge and our strength. This is a song. So it's something that the psalmist and the people of Israel would have been singing to reassure them. And so many of us have songs that are favorite songs that we sing that assure us of what God is doing. I want you to take note that there are three declarations of God as our refuge, our stronghold, and not just in some esoteric sense, but in a very real and present sense. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of need. In verse 7, we read, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. The same phrasing is in verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. God is with us. The only true object of worship and praise. He is with us. Not that he might be with us, that he could be with us, or that we might want him to be with us, but that he is with us. And he's a refuge. Now, what's a refuge? A stronghold. For the people of Israel in the Old Testament, it was a a high place, or it was a cave. It was some place that would keep them safe from their enemies or from the weather. It's any place that you can find refuge from whatever is assailing us. I remember as a college student traveling with some friends to Wyoming and we were in the high country above the tree line and we were doing some fishing in one of the mountain lakes and all of a sudden a storm came through. And I want you to look at this picture if you can see this picture of the mountains and the storm clouds. And if you've ever been in the mountains, you know that storms come and go very quickly and they can be very severe. It was a summertime, so we weren't worried about snow so much because it was warm enough, although that could have happened. And we crawled into this flimsy nylon tent. And we laid on our backs, and I remember the wind whipping that little tent and the rain beating down on it. And I thought, I'm not sure I'm going to make it through this. But that was our refuge. That was the only place to go in the mountains above the tree line to find safety. That was a very flimsy and minimal shelter. What I want to say this morning is that God comes to us in His Word and He tells us that He is our maximum shelter from every storm in life. And notice it says that God is our refuge in verse 1. In verse 7, verse 11, the Lord is with us. So He narrows the promise. Of God as a refuge, and the promise is narrowed to those who are in a right relationship with Him. And I will make the case made in a right relationship with Him through the Lord Jesus Christ, okay, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, God is not pleased with all of mankind. He's not pleased with us because we are faulty and failing, because we are deserving of His punishment and not of His protection. All rebellious humans deserve not protection, but punishment. So what did God do? Just condemned us to punishment? No. What God did was he decided that he was going to provide a way for us to experience his refuge and his protection. And so he sent innocent Jesus to die for us, his punishment. He took the punishment that we deserve so that we, everyone who repents and believes in him is made right with God and enters into God's family and escapes his punishment. This morning, I want to ask, are you trusting in Jesus Christ and his death alone as the payment for your sins? And if you are, then God is your refuge. And if you're not, God wants to be your refuge, and he can be and he will be if you will put your faith, your trust, in Christ the Savior. He says he's our ever-present Help in the time of trouble. What's trouble? The trouble is a term that describes any internal or external source of distress. Could be a natural disaster. Could be a hurricane. Could be an earthquake. Could be a tornado. Could be imminent danger. And that's what we're experiencing, at least we're told we're experiencing right now with the coronavirus. Could be an illness. Could be food shortages. For some of you think that it's imminent danger to be without toilet paper or without hand sanitizer or maybe without some frozen food. That's not really it, but medical supplies, that would be more of an imminent danger. A loss of business. Some of you are operating businesses that have been forced to shut down for a while. Others are those who've lost their jobs because of the business. Everyone is probably looking at the financial markets that are in flux these days, and so that's a source of distress. God is a very present help, the text says. He provides immediate and not delayed assistance. My folks have some friends that are Canadians, and it's interesting that the Canadians come to the United States routinely to get medical treatment for conditions that would be delayed treatment back under the public system in Canada. But not so with us. Not so with us. We are not those people. We go and get immediate public attention. It says, God is with us, the text does, in verses 7 and verse 11. As our present help, kind of reminds me of what Jesus said at the end of Matthew chapter 28. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age with you always, even to the end of the age. God is a present help. Now, verse 2 says that since God is our refuge, now it doesn't say that, it says therefore, but since God is our refuge and our, our help, what does the text say? We will not fear. We do not need to fear. Under any circumstance, and the next four phrases punctuate the fact that any circumstance is a circumstance in which we can trust that God is our refuge. The phrases communicate virtually any kind of thing that could come our way. We need not fear under any circumstance of life ever. Notice the phrases. It says, "Though the uh, and though the mountains should slip into the heart, the earth should change. If the earth changes, what happens? If global warming is real, we need not fear. Though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, we need not fear. Even though It's waters. That's the waters of the sea, roar, and foam. Which is interesting because in the ancient Near East, a long time ago, the the sea was a metaphor for terror. Go into Revelation, chapter 21. It says there'll be no more sea. What What does that mean? There's no more need for fear. Well, we don't have need for fear now. And then the last phrase, it says, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Even if the mountains are afraid of the stormy sea, we don't need to be. There's nothing we need to fear. I really wasn't afraid when I was on the hike with my mother and we came across a rattlesnake. But rewind several years, and when I was a young college student walking through the field on my father's farm, that was uh, soybeans were growing up and they were growing together and I was uh, helping my father. A few years before that, my dad had actually killed a rattlesnake that was in that field that was curled up alongside a bean row. And I must tell you, I must confess that when I was there a few years later, knowing what had happened before and having seen a rattlesnake in the pasture a few days before that, I was a little bit afraid. But God says we don't need to be afraid. It's hard sometimes, but we need to convince ourselves and saturate ourselves with these truths that God is for us, that he is our ever-present help. He's helpful. He's our refuge in the midst of the coronavirus. Even if we do lose our income or the stock market does crash, if we hear the words that no one wants to hear, that you have cancer, or we have a rebellious child, Or maybe we've got an injury that lays us up or it's debilitating or an ongoing medical condition or the loss of a loved one. God is our refuge, and He can be trusted. Now, The hard part is it's not a promise that we'll be insulated from trouble. Far from it. Notice the text doesn't say, God is our refuge and you won't suffer. (laughs) It says God is our refuge and strength of very present help in trouble. So there's the assumption that we will experience trouble. I think of the words of the prophet Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And we'll put those up on the screen so you can see it. It says, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, though the yields of the olives should fail and there be no produce in the the barns, though, though the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. He has made my feet like hinds feet. He has caused me to walk on my high places. He is our strength. Well, that's what God has called us to do, is to cling to this. And the the prophet said this after he had been told that the nation of Israel was going to be invaded. So he knew there was an invasion coming. He knew there was trouble coming. And he says, it doesn't matter. I'm clinging to God. I wonder this morning, are you clinging to your own efforts? Trusting in your own ability, your own intelligence, your own orchestrating of activities and circumstances, or do you really trust God? I know it's hard. I I struggle myself. But difficulty exposes our frailty. And it should result in humility. It should result in us understanding that God is supreme and we're not. I think it's fascinating. Than in the year 2020, that the world should be brought to its knees by a microscopic virus, and that people are brought to tears and fears beyond rationality. I mean, when people are walking through the grocery store and they have their one hand on the shelf and the cart on the ground and they're shoveling stuff into the cart, it's a panic beyond pale. If you're here this morning and, and you're really not trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's, there's no really reason for you not to fear. You have every reason to fear. But it's only the perfect love of God found in the person and in a relationship with Jesus Christ that casts out fear because only in Him do we have victory over what everybody's fearing, which is, I might die. Believers, we should be humble. And not arrogant. We should exercise humility and not hubris. God is in control. I want you to look, if you will, on the screen at Psalm 33, verses 16 through 20. And actually, I would encourage you this week to spend some time in Psalm 27 and Psalm 33. As these psalms are latent with some truths that are very encouraging and helpful for us. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by a great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength, he says. The king, you know, so God is in control. He's the one who's in charge. The king, uh, Chad, could you go to the next slide there? Yeah, behold, the eyes of the Lord are, are upon those who fear him, on those who hope in his loving kindness, to deliver them, their souls from death, and to keep them alive in, in uh, famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. I love that. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon those who fear Him, upon those who hope in His loving kindness. It's those who hope and who trust Him. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be praying independence upon God. We should be praying for wisdom and for grace for our leaders, for those who are in authority, those who have to make tough decisions, those who are working tireless hours. We have been our own body those who are in the medical and uh, professions and those who are in providing essential resources and we should be praying for them for safety for our our own safety and the safety of others for our neighbors that god would bring many to repentance and faith that they would see that they're afraid and they have no hope apart from christ brothers and sisters it's not easy to say it's not fun to say but we can face potential and even probable death and not be afraid. Since, as Paul says in Second Corinthians 5-8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean we walk around arrogantly ignoring proper hygiene. It doesn't mean that we ignore social distancing or that we become germaphobes. Or we stop living, or we stop loving, or we stop serving. At some point, the church of Christ is called to press ahead not paralyzed by fear. Now, we are obviously, we're coming to you online, which means we're trying to take some social precautions. But that doesn't mean that the church of God has to forsake the assembling of ourselves together for a long time. Maybe it's not as we'd like it to be, and it is not like as I would like it to be. I'd love to see you all personally and talk to you face to face and come alongside you and put my arm around you and say, you know, How's life treating you? What's going on? How are you dealing with all this? Can't do that right now. But we can chat on Facebook. We can chat with uh, texting. We can call each other, and we should be doing that. That's what God calls us to do. We don't stop living. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. And you'll see it on your screen. Isaiah, writing from God, says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right arm. I love that. Don't fear. Don't anxiously look about you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I'll be with you. I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous arm. The second reassurance we're given, the first one is that we are not to fear. Okay, We have nothing to fear. The second one is that God protects those he holds dear in verses six and seven or verses four through seven i'm sorry we see this played out and the three insights into his protection as our refuge first of all god protects by his preference verses four and five when i read the the psalm i kind of go does this fit but it does there's a river whose streams make glad the city of god the city of god is the place where God dwells, which is basically what he says in the next phrase, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. In the Old Testament, God dwelt, if he could dwell someplace, which he doesn't really inhabit it, but that's where he come to, came to meet with the people, was in the temple in Jerusalem, and that's where he dwelled among his people. In the New Testament, God's presence is with his people personally. In First Corinthians 12, verse 13 Paul says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. The spirit of God comes to dwell within us. It's not that God has to come to some location. He lives within his people. And the river is the river of God's blessings. And it's only for those in whom his presence dwells. It's only for those who are his people, his children. And the text says in verse 5 that God is in the midst of her, that is, in the city, which is Where the people are, who are his people, he's in the midst of his people, and she will not be moved. The city, his people. God will help her. God will help the people, those who are his people. His protective presence is particular for his people. Mothers are particular in their protection for their children. If you were, which you can't be now, I guess, on a playground or at the mall at the Playland or at a restaurant at the Playland, and there were other parents there and there were other children there, and a few of the children started crying out and screaming. You better believe that the mothers would be particular in their care for their own children. They know the voice, just like it reminded, we're reminded in John 10 that the shepherd knows the voice of the sheep. And so he knows, and he hears, and he understands. Psalm 33, verse 18 uh, is another verse that kind of drives us home, and it's one we've seen before. Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon those who fear him, upon those who hope in his loving kindness. So this morning I ask, do you fear God in the sense of revering him and awe of him, or do we fear our circumstances? Are we fearing God or our circumstances? That's the question. Those who fear Him trust Christ for salvation, and they trust Christ in any situation. We trust Him for our salvation, but we trust Him in the current situation. And again, I've said it, it's not a promise of pain-free living, but we trust that God is present. We trust that God is powerful. And we trust that God is purposefully calling the shots. Secondly god protects by his power notice in verses 6 verse 6 the intentional and the intense contrast between the nations and god the text says that the nations made an uproar which brings to mind psalm 2 where the the they're deriding god the, the nations the People who are in rebellion against God, they, they deride God. They, they make an uproar. They think they're big stuff and they're rebelling against God, but they're not. Notice it says, they make an uproar and the kingdoms tottered, which means they, they trembled and they shook. I, I thought of, I wasn't alive then, but I, I thought of what the world must have been like during World War II when Hitler invaded Poland and then Russia and all of Europe and the nations around the world began to tremble. But then, Pearl Harbor happened, and the sleeping giant of the United States was awakened. And then nations began to tremble on the other side. But notice what the text says. In contrast to when the nations make an uproar, (laughs) they get all huffity and puffity and proud and puffed up like peacocks, and and the nations tremble. But what happens in contrast? Notice the text. Look at the text at the end of verse 6. He says, he, that is God, raised his voice. He just spoke. He didn't get all huffed up and puffed. He just spoke. And what happens? Not The nations don't tremble. The world melts. It's over. The world melts. God who protects us is awesome. And only God is awesome. I remember as a boy, and I may have told you this story before, if I did, forgive me, but I was a young boy, and, and my dad was always bigger and stronger than me. And so I would muster up this false bravado, and, uh, and I, would, I, would, I would say to my dad when we're wrestling, I'd say, Dad, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And my dad would look down with me very calmly, and he'd say, I'll take a good big dog over a good little dog any day. Do you understand that we have the biggest, best dog, quote, spell it backwards, God, on our side, okay? He's the best. He's the biggest, whether it's the possibility of contracting coronavirus or being drained physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually as one of those essential service providers, as a medical doctor or a medical personnel or someone who's working in long-term care, providing groceries or trucking or whatever you're doing that's draining you. Maybe you're a mom. Maybe you're just, I don't know what to do. I'm cooped up with my kids all day long, and I'm not used to this, and so you're freaking out, you know. Maybe all these busy little bodies are driving you nuts, or it's the stress of a business that's had to be temporarily closed. How are you going to make it? You need the income, or you've been laid off, and you don't have a job. Or maybe it's just that ongoing medical condition that just keeps nagging you. Or, like some, separated from their families. I wasn't sure whether I was going to be able to fly home last week. I didn't know if they would close the airports. Maybe it's a marital struggle. Maybe it's just that you're getting old and the deterioration of your body and your mind is wearing on you. Maybe it's something simple, like you just don't really like your body, You know, like you got a body image issue. And those are real issues that people struggle with. Here's the deal. Our troubles may be many, but our God is mighty. Psalm 118, verses 6 through 9. I want you to look at that, if you could, on the screen. Uh, The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. Then he goes on. And he says, It is better f- to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Just wonder this morning. Are you trusting in the Lord or are you trusting in man or trusting in princes? Finally, the, the last aspect of his protection is his presence. And it's set, the stage is set. If you look at verse 7, the power of God in verses 6 sets the stage for us to trust him as being present with us in verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Our middle daughter was about two years old when we were conducting a garage sale. And it was a warm July day, very hot actually. And a car pulled up outside the garage and a, a very, very, very large man got out of the car. I mean, he was about six foot six, weighed about 280 pounds with bib overalls on, but no shirt Okay, underneath his bib overalls. And our daughter took one look at him and she turned around and made a beeline for me and she jumped into my arms. Why? She thought that, (laughs) unbeknownst to her, she thought she was in a safe place. But against that, no, but she was in a safe place. I've been told by people in the mountains is rather curious to me that they—they having a dog with you on a hike in the mountains where there are bears is really not usually a good idea because what happens is the dog, if there's a bear, the dog starts yapping at the bear, starts barking at the bear and, and antagonizes the bear and then when the bear comes at the dog, the dog runs around and runs behind its owner as if the owner is going to protect the dog from the bear. Now, maybe your dog's different, but My daughter jumped into my arms because she knew there was a safe place. And notice the text in verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold, is a safe place in whose arms of love we rest. Not always out of harm's reach, but even when harm reaches us, we still rest because he's got us. And he won't let happen what is outside of his purview. Isaiah chapter 40 uh, verse 11 uh, says this like a shepherd he will tend his flock in his arm he will gather the, the 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 lambs and carry them in his bosom he will gently lead the nursing ewes this is a picture of God he gathers the lambs and the the weak lambs and ewes into his arms just like I did my daughter to protect and to hold and to care for there's a song a long time ago was written by Scott Wesley Brown, so this dates me. But the words of the song, I think, are very, very appropriate. You'll see them on the the screen. And the title of the song is, He Will Carry You. There is no mountain so tall, God cannot move it. There's no problem so big, he cannot solve it. There's no sorrow so deep, he cannot soothe it. There's no storm so dark, he cannot calm it. If he carried the weight of the world upon his shoulders, I know my brother that he will carry you. I know my sister, that he will carry you. That's our God. He will carry us through the deepest, darkest storms. As God's children, we don't need to be consumed. We don't need to be controlled by the chaos around us. God is with us. So, we don't need to fear. God is protecting those he holds dear. And finally, in verses 8-11, through we're called to draw near. There are two commands here in the text, and we're going to look at each one of them. First of all, we're to contemplate God's work or his works. If you look at verse 8, Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Now, to behold is more than just look at. It means to look at, right? So we're supposed to look at what God has done in his, his creation and in history. But not only observation, but we're supposed to contemplate the meaning of it. And so we're supposed to contemplate what the meaning of that is. It says that God brings desolation. What kind of desolation? Well, disease. Uh, it means he brings disaster sometimes. He brings drought and famine. And then he establishes kingdoms or he eliminates kingdoms. All right? He does either one of those two. God, not man, is in charge. He alone, God, God alone, is powerful to punish wickedness, and some of those things happen as a result, or because he's punishing, in order to prove his people, which means to test so as to prove faithful, and also to protect. And he's worthy of our trust. I did a little research, and there's a scale of military preparedness and top military countries in the world. United States ranks number one. And then I just punched in another country, just kind of random and Switzerland. Switzerland is like number 33. So the question is, if you're going to be in a country that's attacked, whose army do you want on your side? Whose military do you want on your side? Who do you want in your corner? Switzerland or the United States. I'm not trying to demean anybody. I'm just saying God is on our side. He, he's in our corner. God's supreme power sets the stage for the next command. His power to protect us sets the stage for what he says next. And that is just relax. Be still. Literally, let drop. That's the Hebrew. Let drop just let it drop. Relax. The ESV says, be still. The New American Standard says, cease striving. For God's people then, for God's people now, in the face of adversity, when we're confronted by an enemy or we're knee-deep in a pandemic, like the coronavirus or a catastrophe, we're supposed to abandon our self-reliant efforts, our self-reliant efforts to bring people, to bring circumstances under our control so that they serve our purposes. No, we're supposed to trust God and let his plan play out so that he can prove himself that he really is God. You see, we scurry around hoarding up all the toilet paper and we don't think that God's going to take care of us. That's not trusting God. That's not acknowledging him. And then notice the result of that, which people often know this verse. Be still and know that he is God. But we focus on the be still. But what happens if we are still? If we're still, then we'll know that he is God. If we're not still, we can't know that he's God because we're trying to be God. Be still and know that he is God. And then if we stop our striving, we stop trying to manipulate and micromanage and control everybody and every circumstance and every situation to serve our purposes, then we sit back and we let drop. And guess what happens? We know. We can know God's peace. We can feel God's presence. We'll realize God's protection and we'll enjoy his provision. In light of God's supreme power, that's verses 8 and 9, and his strong presence, which is verse 11, his children can live in faith and not in fear. Psalm 34, verses 8 through 10 Another passage of Scripture, the psalmist invites us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that wait on the Lord or they that seek the Lord will not be in want of any good thing. Now, these are all verses that we can pass over quickly, but I would encourage you, and I know I'm going to try to meditate on these verses this week. Because I need to be reminded that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. Now, again, we don't abandon common sense. We still practice good hygiene. We maintain our social distancing. Even in setting this up, we've tried to, you know, the guys that are involved and the gals, we've tried to maintain our social distance. You know, we're not trying to infect people deliberately. But, you know, Still wear my seatbelt when I drive in the car, you know, that's, I try to be, I try to be safe and I avoid eating spoiled food. You know, I'm not going to let a, a friend of mine had a sandwich that he left on the dashboard of his pickup overnight and ate it the next day for lunch. I'm not that guy. You know, some people have iron stomachs. That's not me. But here's the deal. Being still looks like this. It looks a lot like when you get up in the morning, you decide that I'm going to spend time with God before I check my Twitter feed or before I check my Facebook account or before I just run out the door for my daily activities. It means that I'm going to recognize that I'm going to start praying to pe- for, for people. Seriously. Praying for God's work in my life, my family's life, the people that I minister to, and for the world and for our leaders, for people to pray for them. It looks a lot like maintaining fellowship through texting people and calling people on the phone and Facebooking and doing whatever interactive stuff you can do. It looks like refusing to purchase stuff out of panic. Really, folks, how much hand sanitizer and toilet paper can you use? Uh, How much do you need in your freezer? And I challenge you, church, if you have something, you have a little extra, let us know. And if you have a need, let us know. And we'll try to match the extra without judgment with those who are in need. Because maybe some of you just went to Sam's Club or Costco before all this panic hit, and you just bought a bunch of stuff, and you got it to share. It means that we're willing to go to the store. I got a call earlier this week, and it just thrilled my soul. Somebody said, you know, I'm I'm going to the store for the hopefully the last time for, for a little bit, and I just want to know, do you know anybody who needs anything? I thought, that's it. That's a willingness to risk for God while resting in God. They were going to go to the store, this person. But they also wanted to know if, if, we, if anybody else needed anything. I know of another person this week was in the store. And the store actually had toilet paper on the shelf. And they had toilet paper on the shelf. And this person said to themselves, you know, I have, I have enough toilet paper. So I'm just gonna leave it for whoever might need it. That's the church. That that's that's what it means to, to live in faith and and not in fear. Let us not grow weary in doing good, as Paul says in Galatians chapter six, verses nine and ten. You know, and so while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Being still in faith, not fear, when we're not talking about the pandemic. Looks a little bit like this. It's refusing to criticize the weaknesses of others as a means of getting them to comply with our wishes. It's a lot like showing patience because we recognize that we have flaws ourselves. It's stepping out in faith, not in fear. Be a homework helper, share uh, with the neighbor. It's students standing up for their convictions in the classroom, even though they may not get the best grade. Some of you seniors, it may look like changing your routine a little bit so that you can serve somebody and minister to somebody. And, you know, maybe you might have to miss Wheel of Fortune or Jeopardy one night so you can serve Jesus. Guys, it may mean less time trying to make it big and more time living for God. I talked to a guy who's a financial consultant this week, and it just blew me away. With all of the stock market volatility, he took off two or three days to spend time with his son. It's a father-son deal. I thought, good for you, man. You got your head in the right place. Gals, sometimes I wonder: Are you always on duty? You know, you're the obsessive one who's chasing around everybody with wet wipes and antiseptic wipes and cleaning off everything and your cupboard handles and cell phones. I wonder. Maybe there's some underlying insecurity in who you are in Jesus. You just don't rest in the fact that you're in Jesus. Or maybe there's something deep, troubling thing in your past that you have trouble getting past so that you feel like you have to wear the best, look the best, be the best, have the best, and never rest. And how precious and how valuable that Jesus says you are. Because if you're in Him, you can't be any better than you are. I just encourage you to to learn to rest in Christ and his protection and his provision. You are precious in his eyes. Unbelievers, if you're listening to this this morning, fear is no way to live, but that's the only way you can live if you don't know Christ. But you can know true peace in the middle of this pandemic. And here's a little phrase, and it's kind of a catchy thing. It's not new with me. But if there is no, N-O, Christ, there is N-O, peace. But if you know Christ, K-N-O-W, then you will know peace, K-N-O-W. And I just invite you to put your faith and your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning. Just cry out to him and say, Lord, I I realize you died for me. I'm running the wrong way. I'm trusting in myself, and I want to turn from my sin and trust you as my Lord and Savior. Words aren't magic. Your heart condition is you need to repent and believe. uh, Believers... We don't have any guarantee. I have no guarantee that I won't get coronavirus. I have no guarantee I won't die. I have no guarantee that I won't lose my job. I have no guarantee that somebody in my family won't suffer some catastrophe. I have no guarantee that I won't suffer a great financial loss. But we need to not fear because our loving God is present, powerful, and purposely working things for his purposes. He's calling the shots. That's, that's the thing I rest in. And here's the deal. As a believer, God either gets me through whatever I'm facing in a way that, that grows me deeper in him and gives him glory, or best slash some unbelievers would say worst-case scenario, he takes me home. And either way, it's a victory. I either grow and give him glory, or I die and I go to glory. Either way, it's a victory. And this morning, as we close, I I just want to invite you to consider the, the breaking of bread and the drinking of the cup as a celebration of the victory that we have in Jesus that enables us to say with confidence that whether he takes me through it or takes me home because of it, it's a victory. And as we break this bread, which is a symbol of his body broken for us, and drink the cup as a symbol of his blood shed for us, I invite you to contemplate the fact that in Christ we have the victory. If we believe and trust in Christ, then God is our very present help in the time of trouble. He is our refuge. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge if we're trusting in Christ and Christ alone. He alone is our shelter in the time of life storms. And now as I uh, reach for the bread, I invite you to take bread with me, and if you would. And Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And so I invite you to take the bread as I break it. And, uh, and take it and eat and join in us, join with us in celebrating the, the breaking of the bread as a memorial for our Christ who died for us, that we might live eternally. In the same way, the Lord uh, took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me so you may drink the cup. I just want to thank you for joining us this morning and this service. I'm going to close our time with prayer. Father in heaven, I just ask that you'd wash over my soul with the truths that are contained in your word about you as a refuge, a very present help in the time of need. I just pray for each of us in our church family, those listening in, those who might hear this, and many in the world that hear other messages and are challenged by these difficult and unprecedented times, that we would, they would come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior and to find in Christ the only perfect love which casts out fear. And I ask that you give us grace to press ahead this week, to show the love of Christ, to share the love of Christ, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the people around us. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks Lord bless know that we're be, we're praying for you we'll be in touch